Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about improving pasture management. As always, though, we are happy to take your phone call. If you want to call into the show here, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. If you want to talk about anything going on on your farm, uh, that number again is 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so when it comes to pasture management, there are a lot of things that can be done out there. And I think the number one thing is just to change the philosophy, because I can just tell you growing up with livestock and lots of pasture ground, the pastures were neglected. The pastures were left till, oh, everything else is done. All the crops are in. Livestock's okay. Everything's good. Oh, yeah, we should probably, you know, at least kill the weeds, throw a little fertilizer out on the the pastures. That is not the way to get maximum grass production. And where I'm going with this is I would really encourage you start thinking about your pasture like a crop and maybe even the most important crop. And here's why I would say it is the most important crop, because that's going directly into your livestock. And the more healthy that grass is, the odds are pretty high that the more healthy the livestock are going to be. It's just like think about human beings. If you have a better diet, if you have a more nutritious diet, then you are going to be healthier. It's the same thing with livestock, absolutely no different. If you're having certain issues in your livestock, chances are that can be tracked right back to your pastures and how you're managing those. And yes, we often talk about weed control here. We are the weed of the week guys. So, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit today in pastures. But I really want you to think about fertility. Are you addressing everything? Yeah, I'm sure you're throwing nitrogen out, almost everybody is. But Do you have enough P and K? Do you have enough micronutrients? Do you have enough sulfur? Do you have the things that will make your grass very nutritious and really improve your livestock production, not just in terms of tonnage, but in terms of quality? You know, I I think about a lot of farmers that I talk to and ranchers say, man, there's a shortage of pasture out there in my area. And I remember one farmer that he farms about 100 miles west of us, uh, he was talking about there's a shortage of pasture in my area. And I'm like, well, do you own any pasture? Well, yeah, but when corn pr- when the corn price went way up, I kind of broke that up and started putting corn in there. And I'm like, so you're just as guilty as everybody else. He's like, well, yeah, but I got to figure out how to get more out of the current pasture I have because there just isn't enough in my area now. Uh, let's get to the phone lines here. We've got uh, Troy on with us right now. Uh, Brian, I'm having trouble pulling him up. Do you want to pull that up? Yep. We've got Troy from Wisconsin on. Troy, how's it going? Going pretty good, but it's wet. Yes, no kidding. Yeah, we're we're soaked here as well. What? Uh, yeah, but Troy, when when's your normal planting date? When do you usually like to see? Plant Brian, corn? Brian tells me to not whine about it because he's like, we don't even want to be in the field yet anyway. We we got a ways to go. Well, we have a ways to go, and like anybody I've ever talked to, there's not very many years in this area that we're in the field much before Easter. Yeah. So, I mean, whether it's getting in hydrosan or getting planting, I mean, usually Easter's the day that we shoot for, and Easter's the third week of April this year, so it's going to be a while. Yeah, so we got five, maybe even six weeks. Uh, So we hear you have a question on why dropping phosphorus, is that right? 
Yes. Okay. So here's here's my dilemma mm-hmm. is I've got a farm that's roughly twenty to thirty parts per million phosphorus on a P one, um, which would be fairly adequate for growing two hundred bushel corn um, per phosphorus demand. Now. I really don't want to go out there with crop removal in a broadcast and just lay it out over the top and whatever, because we all know that phosphorus doesn't move very far. Now, is this, this is rent, this is rented ground, I assume? This is rented ground. Okay. Gotcha. So my thought is I'm going to come back with a wide drop for some nitrogen and boron later anyway. Yep. Could I put some 1034-0 in with my wide drop and and potentially see a decent response that way and deliver some phosphorus? You can try that, but usually you don't. Usually the phosphorus just doesn't move enough in the soil. Even with adequate rainfall, the phosphorus doesn't get down enough this year when you're putting it on that late to give you a real great response. So, I, I mean, you like I say, you can sure try it. And if your crop had already been deficient, it's possible that the that you might get some of that phosphorus down to make it work. Now, if you you if you ask me, all right, how about if I inject it? I'd say you got a lot better chance. But when you're going to lay it on the soil surface, phosphorus ju- well, like you mentioned already, phosphorus just doesn't move much. That's my concern with it. Even potassium doesn't move very well. You'd have to have a tremendous amount of rain just to make potassium move down. Uh, so nitrogen's easy, sulfur's easy, boron's easy, but you know P and K, it, it, it does get real challenging. And you know, as you bring this up, there are a lot of guys that didn't get their fall fertilizer on, so now they're asking, well, what do I do now this spring? Because to your point, okay, you can go broadcast some dry out there. If you don't till that in, then you're gonna not get a lot of response from that already. But even if you do till it in, to your point. How much of that are you going to recover this year? There's going to be a fair amount probably that will be left over for the next year. But if I'm stuck with only two choices and you say I can either wide drop my phosphorus or I can broadcast it and work it in, I'm going to take broadcast and work it in every single time because I think you're going to leave a lot more in that wide drop for next year than what you're going to leave in that broadcast form for next year. Okay. So that that answers my question because one I can't till this farm. It's, oh. it's highly erodible. Uh, till sides, I can't. I'm I'm not, I'm no tilling anyway, so I'm not going to be incorporating anything. Okay, so uh, if you're not incorporating anything in a no-till situation with P, and you say it's rented ground, if I can put that on with the planter, uh, preferably in like a two by two, that's the direction I'd go. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks for the call, Troy. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you this year. Yeah, phosphorus is uh, is an interesting nutrient, no doubt about it. So a lot of guys looking at a better way to put that on. We'll talk about if that per, if that plays into our discussion about pasture management as well coming up. Stay tuned. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! 
When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bioenhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash rise ready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking a little today about improving pasture management, and we're also talking a little about improving your grain marketing. we got Scott Harms with us right now with Grain PhD. Scott, how's it going? Going well, Brian. Good afternoon. You know, uh, Scott, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked, and it's not just that you didn't want to come on and talk about these grain prices. It's just our schedules didn't work out, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the fact is, uh, prices has just been grinding lower. And uh, in past conversations, you've been along the lines of me, being kind of friendly towards the corn market. Uh, how are you feeling now, and, and what are you thinking as we head into spring? Um, well, it's been a rough couple weeks, I'd say, to, to say the least, in the grain markets. Um, you know, the funds have been piling into heavy short positions. But yeah, you know, I've been pretty friendly, uh, prices, and I still am. In fact, uh, the reasons that I was bullish corn are, are still valid today. In fact, I'd say I'm probably more bullish because we're 15 to 20 cents cheaper. Um, you know, what was impossible to predict was that the funds, the trading funds, were going to be building into such a large short position over the last couple of weeks. In fact, they're short probably over 200,000 contracts. Uh, and uh, that it's rare for them, and that's near a record short. And uh, it's very rare for them to take that in the first week of March ahead of a growing season. So, you know, there was uh, one comment uh, that came out that thought that uh, they need, these hedge funds were hedging against their stock port, their bullish stock portfolios in the event that there's a collapse in the trade talks. They've got a hedge in place. But whatever the reason, they are short now. It takes them a little while to get out. We need a trigger in order to get them to exit and hopefully build a long position. But that also has, you know, that creates a, a good selling opportunity if they were to get flipped out, especially if they got flipped out in a hurry. So, you know, corn demand has slowed a little bit, both on the export front and the ethanol side of it. Uh, so that's taken a little bit of the bullish enthusiasm away. But still, by most fundamental measures, given this slide in corn, we're we're at or below value at current levels. So, uh, there was one research piece out that came out overnight. One analyst looked at the balance sheet. He took lower corn acres because of weather and price, 
and uh, included some fresh Chinese demand if a deal gets done. And he's got corn carry out that's dropping down to a billion bushels, and that that's leaving yield unchanged with a trend line yield. So there just isn't a lot of wiggle room in the corn balance sheet if we have some if we get a deal done, and we get if we have any kind of trend line yields below you know below trend. Uh, another key for the corn market is going to be a turnaround in the wheat market. Wheat slipped a dollar lower over the last month, and it's competing as a feed grain. So if we need corn, to, if we get corn to, we want corn to turn around. We need the wheat to turn around first, and hopefully we're, you know, it's at least stopped going down. That's a good sign. Now we need to start moving higher. Yeah, there's there's a a lot of emotion as we watch these markets just grind lower and. I don't know, Scott. It's pretty tough to watch. What What do you say to farmers as as you're talking them through this? Because let's face it, they're pretty frustrated about it. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this, this before. One of the benefits of having a marketing plan and making incremental sales uh, throughout the year it, it it tends to reduce those. You know, it, the the objective is to reduce those emotions that come along with lower markets. You know, you mentioned, you know, we've you know. We we go we go to these winter meetings and I'm sure farmers are tired of hearing about you know um, you know have a plan have a plan and that's you know something they hear quite a bit but there's there's a lot of truth to it and by having a plan in place you know use this downtime not to necessarily make sales but just plan for the next wave up there will be one it happens so we have plenty of opportunities usually to sell you know grain at or above cost of production we just don't have it right now so. You just need to be ready. Don't you know? Part of a, a strategy is no action, and that's what we would be doing right now. We wouldn't be taking a lot of action, but we de- do need to get a plan in place so you can just walk away from these markets. If you have an objective plan that you've done some legwork in and you're comfortable, put that in place and walk away and not necessarily look at these markets on a daily basis because it can create a lot of angst uh, looking at prices lower every day. I, ha- I have to do it. As part of my job, but if I was a producer, <laughs> I'd want to get a plan and I'd want to work on. Oh, that I part agree. Yeah, At Darren, twice you've said markets grind lower. I'm going. I don't know what you're where you're going with this. The, mar- the markets really haven't changed much. I'm still looking at next winter. Um, I, at just a local ethanol plant here, I can contract cash corn for over three dollars and sixty cents, and that is what's similar. What's their basis? How has the basis changed? Uh, that is forty. That's forty-five cents. Yes, yeah, so it's gotten a little tighter. Yeah, uh, and I look at the soybean price, and it's fifteen cents different from how I had things figured, uh, but way back in August. So that is not much difference. And I, I mean, if we got one piece of good news from China, let's say. The, those tiny little differences, it, it, I mean, it's, we're, I, I don't know, that could be overcome very quickly, don't you think, Scott? Absolutely. I mean, I think we've got a lot of grain not in position if we do get export business, whether it's in, you know, we've got, we did have some firming basis. And I think that goes to show that the futures market has slipped, basis levels has either been steady to firm. It just goes to tell you that this break has been mostly fund driven. It's not necessarily that the fundamentals have changed. It's that the money, the the pile of money going into the marketplace has gone into the short side. So, yeah, I think you'll have a lot of uh, grain out of position that will need to get in position if a deal gets done. Uh, there was rumor today that there was going to be three million metric tons um, um, sold off the Pacific Northwest, and you know they're going to have to scramble to get those supplies there because they're probably not there now. Um, so I think that will be a boost, and ethanol also is going to be part of this. This plan as well, if we can get ethanol moving as well, that's only going to help the ethanol basis as well. But I think that's a good point. The the biggest break in the grind lower has been more so in the futures market. 
not knows not necessarily is uh, impactful in the in the uh, cash side of it. Okay, so you mentioned putting a plan together with spring pricing. What what would be an example of of what you're talking about, Scott? Oh, uh, real quickly. I mean, if ideally you want to sit down and do the cost of production and figure out the price objectives and put those in. Use the GrainBridge software to help develop those. But in a pinch, you know, we think that opportunities could present themselves very quickly. We need to get something in place. So we like to take 80% of the last couple of years' production, and then we want to get 35% price prior to June 1st. So we've got a couple months here. Hopefully we can get that accomplished. So we'll take whatever that number is, 80, 35% of the 80% of your last uh, couple of years' production. It's a conservative number. And then we want to identify a target. In Dees Corn, we're probably looking at 407 based on, and I looked at some research the last six years. We've rallied at least up to around the 425, 430 level. And um, so if we get it started at 407, we'll just price every seven cents. And we like to do an inverted pyramid. So we'll sell 10% at the first level, then 20, then 30, then 40. Some people use a bell curve method. It doesn't matter as long as you have those targets in place. But you got to pick a starting point and get those offers in there. And then you determine what, uh, whether you're going to use futures, or options, or cash. If it's just cash, you just subtract the basis, get those orders in with your merchandiser. If it's uh, an option, you know, we'll run a quick simulation, determine what the option price would be worth at those particular levels and have those offers in or just sell futures. But the important thing is to have those in place because when the market starts going up, the optimism is going to grow, and you're not going to be disciplined enough to have those order- orders in and have them triggered. And then the other important thing is to, to review this, you know, whatever plan you put together, review every three weeks, because you may have to adjust. If we don't get the price rally we want, you need to do some pricing based on the calendar, not just on price. You know, uh, grain prices, like you say, they're, they're not really doing anything great at this point, and the basis are changing a little bit, but uh, everything can certainly turn around fast. Like Brian keeps looking for uh, something from China, but as you mentioned today too, Scott, there's there's some good news out there heading in from other places as well. So it's a great time to get that marketing plan in place before we get busy in the spring, and that's what everybody's talking about. We didn't get our fall work done. Now we're going to be super busy in the spring. It's a perfect time uh, right now when it's wet and it's cold and there's rain and snow and all this. Go to grainphd.com. We strongly encourage you to visit there. You can sign up and get the free GrainBridge software that Scott had referenced just a little bit earlier. You can also get a lot of information. There's there's free information about marketing there uh, and tutorials just showing you how these things work and what might work for your farm and give you some ideas to do a better job this year than you've done in the past. Uh, Scott, if someone wanted to talk to you directly or or an advisor, how do they go about that? Yeah, just reach out to Grain PhD. You can call 844-GRAIN-01. Uh, you can get the number off the website as well, and they'll just transfer you over to someone on the team, uh, maybe me. Uh, and then if you have any questions, you just want to talk about the markets or bounce some ideas off, that's what we're here for. I think all the corn guys are going to talk to you, Scott, because you, you still have still have optimism on the corn. That's that's a good thing. Been talking for with sure. Scott Harms with Grain PhD. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having Take you care. on. All right, thanks. All right, we're going to get back to our discussion on improving pasture management and how to get more out of that grass. We'll get right to that after this.
In farming, there's a lot of variables out of our control. Don't let fertility be one of them. Let the experts at AgroLiquid move you closer to your bullseye. It's true, AgroLiquid fertilizers are formulated to keep nutrients available to your crop, and they have unmatched compatibility with other nutrients and crop protection products, which makes application more efficient than ever. But we also have the best people in the field ready to talk about your operation, your goals. Go to agroliquid.com to move you closer to your target. With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us, because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com slash tracks. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success. Like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, we're talking about improving pasture management, getting more out of the pasture and looking for your ideas. You can call in throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or, of course, you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on uh, Rob Sharkey's favorite medium, Twitter, agphd Media. Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and tackle your questions today. Got Miles on with us now down in Arkansas. Miles, we're getting rain today and a blizzard tomorrow. What's it like down there? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, constant rain, but it uh, looks like today's the last day for about a week or so. 
Okay, well, you get a little bit of a break. Uh, you know, for us, uh, we can start to see our pastures now. The snow is kind of melting off it a little bit. Uh, what what does spring pasture management look like in your area? Uh, boy, I tell you what, it has been unusually wet this year. So uh, we are about oh about two weeks behind of where we normally are. We're just now getting our uh, to where I'm at now, sitting inside of a sprayer, getting all of our uh, stuff ready to start spraying. We're about two weeks behind on it and uh, just trying to just wait out this weather to get the uh, get in the fields to do something yeah yeah it's been a challenge everywhere there's no doubt about it and uh, it, it's going to change how pastures get managed brian mentioned that on our farm growing up and we we're cow calf operation and you know the pasture is important for our operation but it seemed to always get the lowest priority it's well we got to get something done out uh, for the cornfield you know we got to get some fertility done or manure spread or something it seemed like managing the pasture was last uh is it a higher priority on your list where where does pasture management fall in for timing well for us it's uh it's probably one of the biggest priorities uh you know above cow health and and bull select you know which bulls you select because uh if you don't have grass you don't have cows and uh, it's a we take it very we try to do as much as we can it's just you're coming out of the winter uh, you know your ground's overworked uh, rutted up cows have spent too much time on it um you know, now's the time that you really have to, to get on top of it. But it's just like with anything, you know, the weather plays such an important role in it. Now we're uh, we're starting to see a little bit of spring, so the, the nights aren't getting as cold, getting a little bit of ryegrass popping up. But now it uh, really comes time to moving the cattle around, uh, being really careful where you go in your fields, not to tear them up too much, and then getting into the uh, your fertilizer cycle and your, your spray, and that's the biggest issue that I see with a lot of people, they don't spend the time nor the money to go in and spray in the spring. And, you know, they just think, well, we've got green foliage coming up, but that green foliage, you know, it's a lot of broadleaf stuff from the use and abuse through the winter that the cattle have put on it. And if you don't get on top of it, you're going to have a very miserable spring and summer and your quality of grass, quality of forage, quality of cattle, quality of hay will all go down for that if you don't stay on top of it from from our end that's what we see yeah the the weed control thing is huge in terms of getting more grass production but the fertilizer piece is big too uh this is one that that we're seeing more guys soil sampling and and trying to meet the needs of the pasture is there anything surprising that your pasture needs i mean obviously we need some nitrogen to grow some grass but but what else are you putting out there well we're We've got poultry houses, so the nitrogen and, and phosphorus, we've got that pretty well locked up. But uh, we're seeing our fields, um, uh, the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of sage grass come in. And that's, uh, and all of our, um, uh, whenever we do soil tests, all of our tests that come back, we're very, very lime deficient. And, uh, and it's not just in one area, you know, it's through the different ranches and different soil uh, types and whatnot. I've never seen it, but it's just, and it's not just on our place, it's, you know, the whole area, but lime right now is our biggest um, thing that we have to bring in. Interesting. Yeah, there's always something, and if uh, if you think, well, I can put it on cruise control, just throw some nitrogen out there, uh, <laughs> you, you may be really surprised. It may only make it worse, uh, especially when you got a pH issue like that. Well, My- Miles, I yep. know you're super busy here. I know you got a lot going on. We really appreciate the time, and and uh, nice talking to you again. Yes, sir. Thank you, gentlemen, for all you do, and I uh, hope everybody has a good spring and summer. 
bet. Thanks, Miles. Uh, I got Tom with us right now. He's down in Oklahoma. Tom, how's it going in your country? Well, the sun's finally shining, so that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Miles said it's the last day of rain in Arkansas for a little while, so maybe you kicked it all over there. We hope so. <laughs> okay, so let's talk pasture management a little bit. Uh, what are you doing? I mean, is there are there some tricks to this to, to get more out of the pasture? Oh, we just finished flying Spike a week or so ago on some rough upland timber country. We'll start running 28.005 and graze on next probably just soon as we can get on it we fly sometimes we'll fly remedy in the fall and put out chicken litter or lime anytime we can get it but most for the most part we try to run over everything with 28.005 and and we'll rotate those chemicals every year sometimes we'll run uh 2,4-D and dicamba, and sometimes we'll run Grazon P&D, and sometimes we'll run Cimron, this is the year for Grazon next. Fescue, you know, when you get north and east of me, it's the predominant grass, and uh, here it's, it's predominantly Bermuda grass, and it's maybe not the best grass, but it's the toughest grass, and that's kind of what we try to take care of. We fight brush to the extent that it's really hard to keep clovers or anything like that in the mix because yeah. Yeah, you, know, sure. you, want, you want clovers or you want blackberry bushes. <laughs> yeah, and Brandon, I get these questions all the time, Tom. It's like, well, I need to kill this, that, and the other, but I can't ding up my clovers, and it's about impossible to do. We haven't. We I've not been able to accomplish it on on native grass. Now, as as you move further west and you get into more native grass pastures, and you can do a somewhat better job of rotational grazing, you can you can you know you you can you can leave more forage. Bermuda grass, predominantly here, we we tend to keep it grazed relatively short. Uh, I know the fellow before was talking about sage grass. We had a lot of late summer rain last year and even in places even in places that that weren't we're always we're always low in pH. Anywhere pine trees grow is usually pretty acidic and we're right on the verge of that. We'll run five, eight to six something most all the time. But if you fertilize and keep the other grass healthy, the sage is not as big a problem. But we had late season rains last year, and it's not their grass of preference. And it blew up, and 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 you see a lot of sage grass. But we'll probably get a little bit back on top of that this year. But it's, you know, it's kind of a competition thing. And it, I mean, they're going to eat what they like the best. And sage grass is not their. It's not. They'll eat it if it's really really small uh but they don't like it and i and i think part of our issue was just late rains and they had plenty of other good stuff to eat so the sage came on but normally where we do a pretty good job of spraying and fertilizing it's it's not that bad it's the neglected places that it, it takes over and native grass here 
in the panhandle, in, out west, we manage four native grass because that's all we have, buffalo, whether, sure. whether it's buffalo or whether it's blue stem. But here, like I say, we're predominantly Bermuda grass. Yep. And it's it's a little different. And it's, and, and it's really hard. Like you say, you can't. You can't have all those clovers and brassicas <laughs> and nice introduce things that you no. want because you, you know you just, it doesn't work. No, you're right, uh, and and it, you know we get back to like you mentioned with the lime and and the fertility, and if we can. Uh, keep that grass really competitive and thick. We've got a lot better shot. And, and I like your comment, too, about if we can keep it limed, we can keep sagebrush and some of these tough things out of there because that's, that's sometimes prevention is the, the best uh, best method we've got. Been talking with Tom down in Oklahoma. Tom, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate having you on. Good luck going into the spring. Thank you, too. Have a good day. Bet you as well. We're talking uh, improving pasture management on our show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No secrets here, we all know, regardless of the markets, balanced crop nutrition pays. Agro-liquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you determine the best use of your fertilizer dollar. Agro-liquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy two, save three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. 
We started utilizing the dual react system this year. You can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips so you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro, helping you spray better. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Talking about improving pasture management and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Got a number of emails that we're going to try and get to here a little later in the show. And you can find us on Twitter too. It's AgPHD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head down to Iowa. We got Doug on the line with us. Doug, thanks for joining us. Oh, you bet. Glad to, glad to uh, talk to you. Okay, so we were talking to, to uh, farmers and ranchers down in Arkansas and Oklahoma here earlier, and they mentioned if they can get the fertility piece right, they've got less weed control and better grass growth. I like that answer. That's a lot better than hard chemistry. Oh, absolutely. You know, I agree. What do you see on um, your what do you see on your farm? What do you what do you fight for weeds in the pasture? Well, um, you know, we used to have problems with thistles and we started soil testing and getting our fertility better and you know what? Now we just don't have that kind of a problem anymore. And we've lost some other uh oh, like buckbrush is one. Uh let's see, uh ironweed another one and it seems like when we uh started getting our fertility better a lot of these weeds they don't like grass competing with them no it's pretty nice having a perennial grass crop that's going to uh be out there all the time never give them a chance to get in uh and then you know we hear a lot of guys talking about rotational grazing too or they don't let anything get down too short uh, again, just to, to try and compete well with weeds. What What's your stance on that, and, and uh, how much of that have you done on your farm as well? Well, I got uh, a couple pastures I rotation of graze, and yes, uh, the taller you can have that grass be, uh, the better. Uh, the downside to that is if Mother Nature don't give you rain or it gets too hot, boy, it's hard to... Uh, keep that growth there but you do the best you can and it's it it'll it'll you know you'll get through it yeah moderate temperatures moderate weather i mean it's been anything but that this year um you know what's what what are things looking like now did you get a lot of stuff done last fall in terms of fertility or do you do you do most of that in the spring uh, um we didn't get anything done it was just a job to get the crops out get the calves weaned um, just nothing, nothing. Uh, most of the time I do, uh, spring fertilize and it's just going to be a push to get everything done. If it ever does get right, you know, it's, uh, what, almost the middle of March. I'm thinking it's going to, it could change around real fast, but I'm thinking we got a month before you can do anything. Boy, that's just going to put a, uh, the time window is going to be just, Go, go, go. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. It's yeah. it's going to be quite the spring. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you, does a lot of your pasture ground sit high and dry, or or what, what type of ground have you got that you got to get through? Well, of course, the pasture ground typically isn't the best ground. Um, you know, we got some sm- I got some small creeks, I guess, going through some of it. Um, it's hilly. The water doesn't stand on it. 
Um, uh, so it's it's not gra not bottom ground like you think uh, as far as flooding. We'll have a little you know a little localized stuff you know if it fills these creeks, which they're they're really coming up the last day or so. But, yeah, uh, yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're seeing the same thing too. Localized flooding around some of those, but uh, but it's short yeah. term, and we don't have cattle out there yet or anything. So it's it's That's something that we're, we're just trying to get calves on the ground right now. <laughs> yes, I know it's it's a crazy time of year. Well, hey Doug, and hopefully they'll hold off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, hey Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you here, and good luck in into this uh, busy busy spring. Hey, you bet. Thank you. Got Colin with us right now out in Washington. Colin, how's it going? Doing real good. So, uh, okay, I'm hearing all the guys here uh, in the middle part of the country, and it's wet. It's it's just been rainy and snowy and and uh, quite a quite a march so far. What's it like out in Washington? Depends on which side of the state you're on right now. In eastern Washington, freezing snow. Um, western Washington, it's actually been drier this year than it has previously a little bit. So we're, we're we still got the rain showers and things, but we're not completely saturated like we usually are. Okay, so I know the focus for you is just high high quality cattle, and when it comes to herd health and and rate of gain and these types of things, what are some of the the tips that you'd give to our listeners about managing that pasture? Basically, try and get rid of your weeds, get your highest production grasses. Yeah, producing and to do that you're gonna have to apply fertilizers and trying to manage them just like you do corn okay so i know you can raise pretty high quality corn what kind of difference can you make on pastures i mean is it where you look across the fence and say wow they've hardly got any grass coming and you've got twice the crop or, or what do you see let me. Can you rephrase that just a second? <laughs> well, I don't want you to put down a neighbor. That's not what I mean. But I mean, when when you get a new pasture, how long does it mm -hmm. take you to get things turned around so it's really highly productive? Two to three years. The yeah. first year is always going to be a little bit slow. Um, the second year, you you get better, and you're, you can take a little bit of the weeds out of it. But usually around the third year, it really comes on strong. Okay, so for your area then, what nutrients is it? Is there something specific that you say, oh, it's always phosphorus for us, or it's always sulfur oh. or, or something, or, or does it vary? you got a soil sample. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. We are, we're in an area that we have multiple things going on in multiple generations that it's been depleted on. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to answer just one thing like that. So, um, <clears throat> go ahead. So how do you do the soil sampling then? Are you grid sampling or are you trying to zone sample based on soil types or what approach do you take? It depends on the size of your paddocks and that, that's the whole thing. I mean, I'd break it down by paddocks and using the USDA's or, um, map surveys of your property and just go out and try and sample at least, you know, per paddock and then go and apply for amendments at that time that you need and that's one of the biggest things that i've seen it increase in it's not just go out and put fertilizer on it every year and that's what a lot of people do it, it, sure, you've got to sure. actually find out what what your what your your pasture needs and what your end result is 
Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said you got to manage it a little bit like corn in that with corn, we're doing variable rate, we're, we're sampling on a regular basis, and we're willing to put whatever it takes, whether it's a micronutrient or, or a secondary nutrient or whatever it takes to get things in balance. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with our pastures. But do we fall short? Yes. <laughs> I mean, there, there's always things that can go wrong with the environment. So, I mean, we have it changes daily <laughs> and our, our weathermen aren't, aren't uh, very good at predicting that. Right <laughs> no, now. no, I, I would agree with you on that. Well, I know it's tough in the Midwest. It's I'm sure it's tough on the West coast too, with all the variations that you're going to have. Now, in terms of weeds, you started off by saying, Hey, you got to get weeds out of control or under control. And that was your number one thing that you started with. What weeds are the biggest challenge for you? <sighs> Actually, there's, there's quite a few different ones, but the, the ones that, are the biggest ones for me are the perennials, the the ones that have basically have a taproot, a two-year perennial, if you see what I'm trying to go at. The um, mustards, some of those are, have been a problem in the past. Actually, the biggest problem I've had in the, recently is canola, trying to kill that out. Interesting. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one because the cows won't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And if you, had, if you have a field of canola in and you tried to kill it off it's very difficult of roundup ready canola yeah yeah there's a lot of a lot of tiny little seeds out there that will definitely come back at some point uh well colin Mm -hmm. it's been good talking to you again and especially when we get into talking about those cattle a little bit and what you're doing on pastures i know we hit a sweet spot for you so thanks for sharing a little bit we really appreciate it no problem you have a great day you too you know, when uh, when you look at weeds, and it's different depending on where we're at, uh, he, he hit it uh, right on there. Those perennials with that multi-year life cycle can be a challenge. I, I found a lot of encouragement, though, listening to uh, to Doug down in Iowa and, and Tom down in Oklahoma about, hey, once we get that fertility piece right and we let the grass compete the way it's supposed to, we can choke out a lot of those weeds, even without chemistry. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk more about pastures right after this. Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Armazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
Using Enserve Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show Enserve delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and Enserve is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes, so you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bioenhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash rise ready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Back to listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about improving pasture management. Brian, uh, you haven't spoke up, though. You've been kind of saving up. What what other tips have you got? Well, here's what I would suggest. First of all, grid sampling or zone sampling. And I realize you might say, I don't even grid or zone sample my crop fields yet. I don't care. This is something you can do if you get more soil tests out there. And you know how to read those soil tests. And also, make sure you get a complete soil test. In other words, get soil pH, micronutrients, cation exchange capacity, base saturation test. Get all those things. That's really going to help you. Uh, On top of that, on top of the fertility side, I would really encourage you to use rotational grazing, control the weeds early, and use some residual herbicides if you have any weed problems. Um, Beyond that... Uh, probably about the only other thing that I would say that a lot of people aren't doing is using gibberellic acid. So, for example, the product Rise Up Smart Grass, I would absolutely, if I want better grass production, I'd use that in the spring and I'd use it again in the fall. When you want to use it is when the daytime temps are going to be in the, say, 55, maybe 65 kind of degree range. So, in other words, it's still cold. Here's what gibberellic acid does. It helps extend that plant basically makes it grow taller and we want that we want more tonnage out of this grass overall and it's going to work well for you when it's cold because the plant can naturally produce gibberellic acid when it's warm when it's cold it's not going to produce enough and that's why we want you to uh, hit it with some more gibberellic acid in the spring and the fall when it's cold so basically you're tricking the plant into thinking things are good so anyway, those are probably my best tips. All right. Uh, I got a phone call here from George up in Michigan. George, how are you doing today? Oh, we're doing pretty good. I understand you got some questions on the, the pre-emerge herbicides in corn. Yeah, we have uh, quite a bit of chickweed around here in the spring. And okay. uh, I 
was listening to Darren there yesterday. He said about working a herbicide in. Uh, we've been using Sure Start for quite a few years and uh, putting that on with 20 gallons of 28 after the crop's planted. Just wonder if we could go ahead of the crop planted with Sure Start or some kind of uh, maybe a different combination and hit it with our turbo till on our bean stubble and then plant. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, just uh, just some real light tillage. You know, the big thing with any tillage that we're doing with those pre's too, and I'll just maybe start with that, uh, is we just want something that's going to stir and mix without you know, working too deep. And if we can stay shallow and just kind of kick some soil around and, and do it fairly evenly, that's going to work just fine. Uh, I, I like it that you, you're also going to till up some of those fall weeds as well. Yeah, it's just that when you when you talk turbo till, and just so I'm on the same page with you, we're talking coulters most likely here, right? Yeah, it's a 330. Yeah, right. Yep. So I, I just worry that um, we're not going to stir it around as much as you're kind of slicing in. And that's not usually the machine we talk about for incorporating herbicides. We'll talk about a field cultivator, uh, maybe a harrow, yeah. a drag, something like that, rather than just a turbo till machine. So what do you have on the back of that? Uh, we got baskets. Okay. Um, you know, the bat. You throw quite a bit of dirt. But. Yeah. So I, let's put it this way. It's, it will probably be okay. It's just what I, here's what I worry about is streaking. I, I'm just worried that you might have a little bit of streaking. So what are you using post-emerge then? Uh, we usually, it's either Roundup or, uh, that other one, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> uh, Liberty, Liberty, uh, Status, Liberty. Uh, Callisto. Okay, yeah, Roundup or Liberty. I mean, those are both going to kill chickweed too. You're you're lucky in that the weed you're asking us about is not one where we say, "Oh boy, there's a lot of Roundup resistance" or something like that. So even if right. you were to get a little bit of streaking, it's not like it's the end of the world. But yes, you could put that on early. I will just tell you with Sure Start on our farm when we use that product, we'll usually spray it and then we till it in with a field cultivator real lightly and th th then we're done. So, um, you know, the turbo till is not my ideal choice, not my first choice, but it's probably going to work as long as you're not getting real deep. It's just, I worry a little bit about streaking. Yeah. Well, we kind of found out because we got rocks who pre-run that. Everybody wants to make it look like it's a filled field, but if we run <laughs> it yep. two to three inches deep and, uh, our displays last a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you in rocks. We're lucky we only have uh, one field that's got some rocks in it. We actually had another field we were farming a few years ago that had a few more rocks. And I, I can't tell you that I was sad that we gave that field up and got a different field. So <laughs> I, I understand what you're going through. So anyway, uh, anything else we can do for you today, George? That's it. Well, well, my concern if we get a little late or rain delay this chick we just suck some moisture right out of the ground yeah. you know and that's why i'm trying to nip it in the in the butt yeah now the only thing you talk about getting late what i worry about when we do light tillage because you're talking light tillage here is that the weed gets up 
and gets any size to it, and then that tillage doesn't destroy what's there. So what I'm saying is we don't start with a clean field. So if you're doing right. that, then and, and and you get some size, you're probably ahead to spray first as opposed to, you know, do that, plant, and then spray right afterwards because now you've dinged up some of the plants and everything else. So, yeah, it, it, it always gets challenging on the farm when our plans get delayed. So I tell people all the time, yeah, I have a plan A, but I also have a plan B, a plan C, usually about a plan H, I, J sometimes because <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to work out too well. But anyway, well, thanks for the call, yeah. George. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. You bet. All right, let's get into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Got a question for Brennan. He's over in East Central Minnesota, and he said, we usually do strip till in the fall. However, thanks to Mother Nature, that didn't happen last I fall. I hear you. Uh, so we're going to do it this spring. The question is, uh, we normally put out like 250 pounds of mez and 350 pounds of potash. Can we ban that right yes. before planting, or should we be worried about burning the seed with that much salt? Uh, well, you can do that right before planting, but you're going to want, ideally, I'd like to have as much separation as I can get. Now, he didn't say coulters or shank or what he normally does, correct? Nope. Okay, so all I'm getting at is you, you've got to have some separation between that fertilizer and the seed. We want some some soil in there. And also, I don't know what type of strip-till machine you've got, how much you're spreading that out. So you, you're putting a lot of stuff out, and I will yeah, just tell you, a, we've done that many times. it's a single concentrated band versus if you're working it all through the strip. Right. Yep. So all I'm getting at is the more concentrated you've got it, the more risk you have. I'm still not super crazy worried about it because we've done some of that same kind of stuff ourselves. But, you know, if you've, let's say, got a few sandy spots on your farm, you don't get good rain this spring, you know, it's possible you could have a couple of issues. So if you want to play it safe, especially on your light ground, you could cut back a little bit, at least for this year. I know that's one of the things we've talked about on our farm, too. We are going to probably cut back just a little bit this spring when we're doing stuff compared to some of the things that we would do in the fall. We're going to do a little bit more with the planter than we normally do, going to use a little more liquid than we normally do. We're just making some adjustments because, well, just like with the last call, I said we're down to about plan H, I, J somewhere. I don't know. We're we're way down the list now at this point, but that's the way it goes some springs. All right. Thanks for the call or the question, Brandon. We really appreciate that. Now, I've got one from Brandon, and Brandon says, I've, I'm going to put on some urea, but I'm wondering what the actual amount of nitrogen is in urea. How do you figure 40, that out? 46%. So just figure if you're putting 100 pounds of urea out, take that times 0.46, and that'll give you 46 actual pounds of nitrogen. Yeah, we get a lot of those questions about how do I figure out what's in a certain thing based on that analysis. And and, uh, and you need to figure that, too. Yeah. If you don't know, now we got a real problem. So there's plenty of information out there on the Internet. You can search that. Or you can absolutely ask us anytime you have a question like that. I had a comment on topsoil from Svetla saying, hey, I left my corn roots alone in the ground, and I also put on some compost 
uh, for winter decay out there. And I guess I'm on the right track after listening to you guys talking about building topsoil. Hey, that's right. We love leaving those root balls intact and uh, and putting compost out there as well is a great source of fertility that's also going to help you build that topsoil quicker. Hey, thanks for the comment. Really appreciate that. Thanks to all of you for listening and to everybody who sent in questions as well. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>